Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 347. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Before we get started, I want to talk about the 10th annual Lendit FinTech USA event. We are so excited to be back in the financial capital of the world, New York City, in person on May 25th and 26th. It feels like fintech is on fire right now with so much change happening, and we will be distilling all that for you at New York's biggest fintech event of the year. We have our best lineup of keynote speakers ever with leaders from many of the most successful fintechs and incumbent banks. This is shaping up to be our biggest event ever as sponsorship support is off the charts. You know you need to be there, so find out more and register at lendit.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Wendy Kai Lee. She is the CEO and founder of Piemont Bank. Now, Piemont Bank's a super interesting company. It's a new bank. They've been around. They got their banking license in 2019. Wanted to get Wendy on because they're a really unique company. They were built from the ground up to be a banking as a service bank. And we talk about some of the thinking behind that and what it took to actually get a banking license. We go into that in some depth. Wendy shares how she distinguishes between banking as a service and embedded finance. We talk about the small to medium business sort of uh, segment and why it was important to serve them. We also talk about the landscape for banking as a service today and some of the partners they work with, some of the fintech companies. And uh, she also talks about New York City and why it's a great place to set up a fintech bank and uh, much more. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Wendy. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. So let's get started by giving the listeners uh, a little bit of background about yourself. You've had an interesting career to date working uh, with some of the biggest names in finance. So tell us a little bit about some of the highlights of what you've done to date. This is my 26th year in banking. So I'm currently <laughs> the founder and CEO of Piermont Bank. I started out my Wall Street career with chemical banks. So that predates JP Morgan Chase, as you know it today. I spent most of my career as an investment banker, actually, Hmm. buying, selling assets from Adidas shoes to cars, like as in Mercedes-Benz, helping them buy companies, sell companies. But this is actually my second tour as a entrepreneur. So my first startup was in 1997, 98, doing the first dot-com raised $12 million from venture capitalists and sold the startup back to my investors. And the investor actually subsequently took an IPO on the Hong Kong market. So wow. yes, I know it's 20 years later, I launched Pyramon. So it's a bit of an unusual career where normally you see people either have, you know, continue to grow their career with larger institutions or they're entrepreneur. But I have done big banks, entrepreneur, startup, going back to a very large company like a Deloitte for 10 years only to start another bank 20 years later. So. Right, right. Okay. So let's talk about that then. Let's talk about the starting of, of Piermont Bank. Tell us a bit about the founding story there. So the genesis of building Piermont was actually really, really simple. Uh, it wasn't anything like I had an epiphany or something, but it was really two things. One is seeing the impact fintechs 
were having on consumer bank mm-hmm. and how quickly they were able to take market share from existing financial institutions and how the user experience have rapidly was evolving. Secondly, was my thinking there thinking that if it wasn't going to happen or impact commercial bank, we'll be kidding ourselves, right? So it's really a matter of when and how. And secondly, was about really seeing that banks, traditional banks become less and less relevant to the demographic that we're trying to serve. So in my case, in the last 10 years, the specialty is around what we call SMB markets, small to mid-sized companies. And if you look at the commercial banking products and the way that from a UX standpoint, it is just becoming less and less appealing and relevant to the end audience. And so those were the two main reasons, the driving reasons to building Paramount. So basically, I asked myself, if I have a blank slate, how would a commercial bank look today? so that it is relevant, right, to that SMB demographic. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, there's obviously a lot of ways you can start a bank. You can kind of start a neo bank and use a partner. But what you did, you decided to actually get a banking license right off the bat. Tell us about the thinking behind that. As you probably can guess, that's much harder, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a lot more capital intensive, a lot more compliance intensive, etc. So the thinking really was that if I'm going to build something that's really able to be relevant, what's the most important thing is products, right? So if I don't have control over ability to actually develop banking products, mm-hmm. then my ability to really stay relevant and serve the end demographic is going to be limited. So I have to make sure that I find a banking partner, a regulated banking partner who's willing to develop products or support products in a way that I need that to be. That I didn't want to leave my fate sort of in another bank's or another person's hands, so to speak. Secondly was cost of funding. So Peter, if you think about where we're headed, right? BAS, we'll get to BAS later, banking service or embedded finance, right? So to me, BAS and embedded finance are related, but they're not the same thing. People are using them interchangeably. So again, we'll get to that, is to truly get to good banking as a service or embedded finance is about lending. Right now, everything is still staying in the realm of cash management, payment solution, right? Lending, especially when it comes to commercial lending, that's still the sweet spot for the banks, for the existing regular banks, primarily because of the cost cost of funds. Because once you're a regulated bank, we're insured by the FDIC, the cost of funds is much cheaper than the neo bank's ability to actually structure these real credit products. So those were the two main reasons why I said, okay, you know what? I will spend, make the investment, both time, (laughs) stress, as well as capital to get the charter first and build a true fintech bank, basically. Right. And so tell us a little bit about that process, because I read somewhere that you were the first state charter bank in New York for almost a decade. So tell us a little bit about what that process was like. I don't recommend it for <laughs> for anyone, <laughs> that process. Surprisingly, I would say that it depends on the regulatory agencies and depends on the team that you're working with mm-hmm. at that particular agency. You'd be surprised how supportive they can be. So we actually receive conditional approval for charter with the OCC. We receive conditional approval from the FDIC. We end up at New York State because we end up with a team who really understands what the whole genesis of building Paramount, meaning that, okay, here's the traditional banks and they do what they do. Here are how the markets have evolved, right? So instead of trying to figure out how to go regulate all these fintechs, let's figure out how we can support a charter bank to do 
what is needed to serve the clients. Mm -hmm. So when they said that to me, I was like, okay, we can do this. So we went with New York and they got us to opening in lightning speed, basically. It was actually great. With that said, you do need actual banking experience to be able to go through that process because they require, for example, extensive number of policies. So I remember when we went to get our charter, when we submitted an application, it was 364 pages long. Now, Peter, you tell me which fintech actually put forward something to their investor or stakeholder. That's 364 pages, right? Mm -hmm. No one is going to read it. Mm -hmm. But to get a charter, you need so many different types of policies in place, procedures, and protocols. So you do need that banking experience. Right, right. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your product offerings. Maybe you can describe the different things you offer. As uh, mentioned earlier, for us, is built to focus on the SMB demographic, small and mid-sized company, whether they're fintech or not. That's our specialty. So from cash management to payments to lending. And lending is really our sweet spot. Mm -hmm. We know credit really, really well. And I put together a team of bankers that who's been doing various different types of industry lending for many, many years. And that is so critical to be able to structure these products. So we don't do retail business, actually. So we focus on, like I said, only commercial banking products. And we target our specialties, a few different industry verticals. So from real estate to fintech, to tech in general, to healthcare, health tech. So that's our specialty. But essentially, anything that you can ask for or exist in commercial banking, we have it. So we have a full banking charter, no different from a B of A. We can even do trust business if we so choose. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So then is what you're focused on is really banking as a service. Why don't you talk about banking as a service? How do you define it? And maybe you can even talk about how you differentiate it from embedded finance. Let's just start there. At Paramount, we look at banking as a service. It's another delivery channel, another interface that we use to do customer acquisition and customer servicing. So we can do it direct or we can do it through banking as a service. And in that regard, we have partners like Treasury Prime, like Unit, who was recently announced, mm -hmm. where we either the fintechs come to us or go to them, doesn't matter. We onboard the fintechs, we support the fintechs through that direct integration, so to speak, right? But we can also work with the fintechs directly if they so choose. We have large clients like a prime trust who does not integrate through Treasury Prime or Unit. We process literally millions of transactions for them each month. So to us, we are pretty agnostic when it comes to APIs, because, Peter, if you think about just the, that three-way relationship, which is banking as a service, right? The fintech, the API, the tech partner, and the bank. Mm -hmm. Every fintech has a different tech stack. Does that make sense? It depends yeah. on their maturity. So you have a tech, I'm going to pick someone who we don't work with right now, but pick a Robin or, or Chime. Their tech stack is very different from someone who just came out of their beta. So therefore, they may or may not need additional layer in terms of a treasury prime unit. So we choose to work with the best. That's why we partner with those two. So because they provide different type of expertise. So we're trying to do a completely API agnostic offering to the fintech. So let's say, Peter, you have a fintech. Depends on how well your tech stack is, then we'll tell you what you need. You want treasury prime, you may need unit, you may not need any one of them, right? Because that's the most important thing, I think, for a fintech is that because at the end of the day, for them, it's speed to scale, right? To get the market share. Secondly, eventually, it's to monetize that. 
because and then early on, even if they're not being asked to turn or profit very quickly, is that the longer they can preserve their cash position, the more revenue they can generate, the more sustainable they can grow, right? So if you don't need to have certain revenue share structure, well, you put yourself in that position. So providing that agnostic platform is, or I should say choices for the fintechs is important. Right, right. So do you also work potentially with other banks who don't have sophisticated you know, technology, but they want to maybe stand up some sort of you know, SMB product that they don't have? Is that sort of what you do as well? Yeah, so on the lending side, we do. So we are able to generate in 26 months, we have grown from zero to $370 million, serving thousands of business enterprises. So there are situations where the business, the commercial entity is larger than others, where they need a larger loan size. So we actually support other banks by letting them to share. So we'll take the lead, we'll do the origination, and we'll let them come in and take a piece of it. Okay, interesting, interesting. I think we're pretty clear about the banking as a service piece. How do you differentiate that from embedded finance? Embedded finance is something that's been around for a long time. I think in today's fintech ecosystem, I would say differentiate banking as a service to embedded finance is truly about financing, credit, lending. That's Mm -hmm. what we're looking at. And banking as a service today is primarily cash management, meaning your checking account, your savings account, your payment solution, your debit cards and credit cards. To get to truly embedded finance is figuring out how to do lending, how to support growth of these end customers through actually giving them financing products. So whether that's term loans, lines of credits, lending for their receivables, right? In these days, I think that the way that more digital oriented companies, they don't carry inventories and get receivables the same way anymore. So can banks or your partner bank create lending products that's reflective of your end audience, how they get paid, how they need to get paid and how they pay vendors, right? So that's embedded finance. And then ultimately, I think that for embedded finance to be successful is the ability to create and develop new products, new banking products. And banking as a service, as we know it today, does not do that. Right. Right now, it's about, okay, you have, in some cases, the banks are playing a pretty anonymous role. They're just lent a charter. They're lending your FDIC insurance. Right. That's not really embedding financing into your system. That's just pass-through, I guess, Peter. <laughs> That's right. one way to put it, right? There obviously is talk in Washington about that very model, which uh, That's right. Which is a topic for another day. But I want to talk about the typical loans that you're offering here, because you're obviously working with a bunch of different clients here who have different requirements. Like what is a typical loan size? What are the typical loan terms that you're dealing with here? It depends on the type of loans. So we have your more traditional business like commercial real estate. We also provide lending to the fintech ecosystem. So that's more working capital. We also Mm -hmm. do receivables lending, right? So let's say Peter Inc. generates $2 million of receivables, meaning that your client owes you $2 million a month. So before you get all paid, can the bank extend you a line of credit against that? So you get some cash in your hands to create, to go buy more inventory, as an example, and generate more business. So that's called receivables lending. And further to that, I think especially in the fintech ecosystem, you need a bank who knows how to do cash flow lending. Essentially, it's not looking at history, but looking forward at what the business can generate. 
So that all requires a lot of true credit experience to structure these products. So we do all that. So term loan, line of credit, cash secure, mm-hmm. cash flow lending, receivables lending, lending against inventory. Okay. And I just want to be clear, you're not like people aren't coming to Piedmont Bank directly or are they? These are coming in through your clients. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's both. So we have okay. bankers that who are generating these relationships directly. Okay. We also have referrals coming through our banking as a service platform as well. And then the fintechs that are our clients, the bank's client as a fast client, they themselves needs also financing and capital. Right. And the other thing we do is also we do capital call lines. So we actually finance the private equity firms and the venture capital. Interesting. So the $370 million you referenced earlier, where are you getting the capital for that? Are you a deposit-taking institution as well and you're attracting capital that way or is it through other sources? So for a regulated banking institution, there's capital, which is you generate like fintechs, we raise capital, right? So it's investors' money. The deposits are our liabilities, basically. So we also generate a lot of deposits for FDIC insure. And that's why I think early on when you and I discussed, why did I go get a charter first, is that getting the FDIC insurance allows me to generate a much more robust and cost-efficient deposit base so that I can lend more money out to small businesses. Okay. Okay. And so then... And the $370 million, is that your loan book today or what? Like I'm trying to get a sense of the scale you guys are at. Sure. Maybe talk about that and then the size of the company employees-wise and that sort of thing. So going back to your other question, so total equity capital, we have raised over $80 million, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. That's in the world, how FinTech understands it, right? right? Round A, round two, right? Series E, Series B. So the $370 million is what the bank's asset. So that's a combination of loan portfolio as well as our deposit portfolio. Right. Okay. As far as the size of your team, can you give us some sense of that? It changes literally every day. So uh, we are about 35 as of this morning, and we're looking to add another 12 people to the team this year. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So then I'd love to sort of step back and talk a little bit about the competitive landscape for banking as a service, because while you're somewhat unique, there are plenty of companies offering what they call banking as a service. You've taken slightly different approach to many, really focusing on the SMB side. But tell us a little bit about how you view the competitive landscape. As of today, I don't know, I think you've got at least 70 banks out there doing or dabble in uh, some sort of banking as a service. Right. But I would say that you probably can name about a handful, literally, as in the fingers, <laughs> handful of banks that who can do banking as a service really well, meaning that that's a main business, meaning they have transformed their existing bank to focus on banking as a service. It's a meaningful portfolio and contributor to their net income. Where Paramount differ is that we're literally the only bank is built for this because all the other vast, so-called vast bank players out there, they're in an existing bank, meaning they've been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. They were either at one time a savings and loan or a community bank where they pivoted to this business. So when I started Paramount, we design our tech stack, our process, our procedures, we essentially overhaul that to build it like a fintech so that we can run as fast as a fintech, as fast. So we behave no different from the fintech clients. Does that make sense? Because we're one ourselves. 
from a technical capability standpoint, we're a lot more efficient and we don't have those legacy burdens. So really quick, Peter, is that you can go out and buy a lot of good technology. You can go integrate with someone like a great like Treasury Prime unit, right? But if your deposit operations department, your loan operations department, they're still the traditional bank. How fast do you think will go? Because you still need them to book that deposit. You still need them to book the loan. So being able to have a complete fresh design of how the product gets delivered is the biggest differentiator. Right. Let's talk about that then. So the product being delivered, obviously small business lending, it's made a fair bit of progress, I think, since uh, particularly in the last couple of years where obviously we all went through PPP and people realized, oh, you could actually do a regenerative loan online. Many uh, banks and traditional lenders were, were very resistant to do. So tell us a little bit about how you approach the experience that a loan applicant is going to go through and how you automate that process, what sort of approach to underwriting and that sort of thing. When we did the redesign before we even went to the application is really putting ourselves in the client's shoes, which is not hard because I always tell my team that this is one product that everyone is a customer. Everyone is a user, right? So what don't you like about it? Which is the repeated ask of driver's license six times. Well, if I already have a checking account, why do you need my driver's license again? I know it's something very rudimentary, but that improves the overall speed in the process. So that's one thing was that really re-engineer the entire process and the user experience. Secondly, is actually designing the credit product itself by industry because every industry is different because we can call them all small business, but a small business in the import-export company, let's say a small business that manufactures your shirt versus the microphone, very, very different. They have different seasonality. They have different reliance in terms of vendors, suppliers. So being able to structure credit products by industry, overlay the industry expertise, is the driving success story here, right? So it makes it more, again, relevant to the small business. So you're based in New York. I'd love to kind of get your sense on, I mean, do you have a hybrid model when it comes to people working at an office or at home? I mean, just talk about New York, because I feel like New York City, people wrote off New York City at the start of the pandemic, said New York City is done. It's never going to come back. The sense I'm getting from the people I speak to is, seems like New York City is actually coming back stronger than it was before, particularly when it comes to fintech. What's your thoughts on that? It is absolutely true. So if you're sitting in my shoes or my equivalent, if you're looking to hire good talent, you're looking to do, you know, just overall lending, you'll know that New York has completely gotten to pre-pandemic level in terms of uh, resources and even rent. So we're headquartered in Midtown, New York. Pyramon itself, we have a hybrid model. It's permanent. So it's not even, oh, we'll do this for now and see what happens. So it's Monday through Wednesday, we're in the office. Thursdays and Fridays, everyone has the choice of working remotely or they can come in. So Mm -hmm. we have a decent population of what I call the younger bankers, especially on the banking as a service side, our innovation banking. They live in the city, right? Their whole social life is in the city. So they come into the office every day. Very flexible. We also have opened up recruiting in other geographic area. So we do understand, have seen that there, there's been migration that has taken place, right? People have basically exited large cities. We are open to hiring employees that who physically, they do not reside in the New York area. But we haven't had issues because the talent is here. That goes back to your, I think part of your question is New York. We think for fintech, New York is the place to be. 
because we have the banking talent, the financial services sector talent, right? The risk managers that you're looking for, the credit people you're looking for. And I think it's really the hotbed if you're look, trying to create or launch a fintech. Now, if you're doing biotech, health tech, that's something else, right? Ultimately, I think that, Peter, going back to some of the topics that we discussed earlier about differentiating fast and embedded finance, soon enough, we'll see some convergence that will take place, convergence between a fintech and a bank. Right. Because it's not one to take over the other. It's really about finding, I think, running any good financial institution is finding the best formula into the men and machine, right? Because there are certain things that it's hard to algorithm, hard to digitize, for example, just the user experience. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I think that as we'll see more and more conversions taking place, and if that does take place, the fact that think about where you can find the best talent, financial services talent, New York. It's the financial capital of the world. It's going to remain that way for the foreseeable future, I'm guessing. So I wanted to ask about crypto and just wonder if any of your clients are sort of asking about that. What are your thoughts about providing crypto type services? So we actually do have crypto clients. We have crypto clients that are direct as well as through banking as a service. Hmm. You know, honestly, that's one thing that I claim no subject matter expertise on. I think it's still really evolving and the regulators are certainly paying close attention to it, right? From SEC to FINRA to OCC, to FDIC, I think all the agencies are looking at how to best work with crypto businesses, right? Uh, do right. you regulate them? How do you regulate them? And what kind of guidelines do you provide? So personal view is that it's not going anywhere, but what form or shape that it will not only stay, but actually scale and be sustainable, I think that's a question. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's wrap up with, I'd love to kind of get your perspective on how you sort of view banking as a service and, you know, is this the way you know, most banking will be done, do you think, in the long term? Maybe you could say, what's your vision for Piermont and what's your vision for banking as a service in general? For Piermont, we pride ourselves being the hybrid, right? Being a challenger bank, neobank, whatever you want to call us with actual banking license. I tell my team that continue to strive to build a commercial bank like what Tesla has done for the automotive industry. Think about it. How Before Tesla came around, how automobile industry, how they're built, how they innovate, right? I used to go to the Detroit Auto Show every January because GM and Ford were my clients when I was at Deloitte. Hmm. Every year you have prototypes, very cool stuff, but it's a cool design may improve fuel consumption by a mile or two. Perhaps I'm not giving it enough credit, but not until Tesla came around. How cars are marketed, sold, distributed, driven, it changed the whole thing. So I keep encouraging and motivating my team is that keep thinking about we have the perfect platform. We started from scratch, a blank slate. Keep thinking about how we can drive that innovation in banking. So that's Pyramon, right? In terms of banking a service, you know, honestly, we're on to, I call BAS 3.0, because the first generation of BAS was the banks are completely anonymous, lend a charter. Right. Then we got to BAS to get to better payment solutions. I think the next generation of BAS is about lending, mm -hmm. is about how do we get from BAS to embedded finance. Right, right. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there, Wendy. That's really interesting. It's a great story. And I wish you all the best. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. 
You know, those of you who have been following the podcast for a while know that uh, I'm a big fan of the lending space. It's how I first got involved in fintech, and I still really like to uh, talk about it to this day. And I've been reading this a bit lately where a lot of people think that lending is about to go through another kind of revolution. And Wendy just pointed to it there with banking as a service where there are those banks and fintech companies that really have an expertise here that are providing their expertise to those who don't have it. And particularly in the small business space, I feel like it's extraordinarily complicated to underwrite successfully. And we've obviously seen some banks that have done this over the years, but The thing that I always go back to is lending is extremely profitable if done well. And I think we're going to go into this new age where I think lending, we're almost there, but all of lending is going to be done in a really sophisticated, electronic, online, mobile-oriented way where all of the kind of back end will be automated and quick. And this is going to be really driven, I think, by a lot of these banking as a service companies like Piemont. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye.